0: hi everyone uh welcome so good to see you all. thanks for coming out um, so excited to have Matthias Felina here with us uh, this evening for our reading. Um, it's our, our first uh, reading of the winter uh quarter and I just wanted to make a few announcements uh, before introducing matthias um So, uh, as I said, it's the first reading of the quarter, and hopefully you're seeing these posters around uh, for the schedule for the rest of the quarter. We've got a really great lineup. Uh, We've got the Cuban-American artist, writer, and musician Christy C. Rode reading for us here in uh, uh, Geisel. Um, in the Seuss room on february twenty first so mark your calendars for that that 's going to be a fantastic event and then also Professor Amelia Glazer, um, a professor here uh, uh, in the literature department, is uh, hosting lenore Gorolik, and we 're helping to promote that uh, promote that event a uh, uh, writer, poet, and artist lenore Gorelick. Uh and so that 's going to be actually in uh, professor glazer 's classroom in uh, Leiden Auditorium. Uh, 11 a.m. Uh, Thursday, March 8th. So mark your calendars for that. Look out for our posters. And, of course, you can find this information on our website as well. Okay? Um, uh, a few thank yous before we get started. As always, want to uh, thank our assistants, the new writing series organizers, Aidan Grout and Evelyn Murdoch, who are up here in the front row, for all their wonderful work. Also, uh, we have a few administrators in the literature department who, without their tireless work, this series really couldn't happen. So we want to applaud Danica Chan and Derek Chin as well. And then our MFA director, uh, program director, Anna Joyce Springer. And also want to say a big thank you and shout out to Geisel Library and the director of uh, the new Poetry Archive, Nina Mamakunian as well. So thank you so much. Okay. Well, I'm I'm so excited uh, to have Matthias with us here uh, today. I've known uh, Matthias uh, for a number of years, since the early 2000s. Uh, And he, uh, since that time, has been introducing me uh, through his own poems and through his friendship and through his important editorial work at Octopus Books a Press and Journal, which he founded, Uh, he's been introducing uh, me to the diverse possibilities of what poetry and literature can be. So it's meaningful for me uh, and and fitting uh, for me that I should be introducing him here today. When encountering Matthias's work, we are in the presence of two similar-sounding S-words, surreal and serial. And while those terms may sound similar, they don't always engage in the same practice or perform the same acts. Indeed, we might observe a tension between them. Surrealism is a movement known for its abrupt juxtaposition and non sequitur, while to work serially, to work in a series of poems, is to work, in fact, within a sequence. Thus, while Matthias's work is invested in unconscious immediacy and surprise, his projects work also on or through recurring subjects or obsessions, while at the same time deeply committed to a sustained and conscious artistic practice that celebrates the endurance of the imagination. And what an imagination. Here's uh, how Matthias opens up Wastoid, a book of uh, a series of prose sonnets. Check this out. The first time I met my lover, he was a praying mantis. He extended one long green leg toward me and offered me his iPod. The headphones were two tiny praying mantises affixed to black wires. I inserted them into my ears and heard a sound I could not identify. It sounded like two wet bones rubbing against each other, but also like lake water lapping off a handful of wet hair. I love that. In their approach to the beloved and their comparative gestures, their performance of metaphor, the sonnets are echoes and hi, come on in, hello. The sonnets are echoes and revisions of Shakespeare's own sonnets. In fact, Matthias in an interview has described the work of these poems as correcting the bad love advice in Shakespeare's sonnets. If there is a corrective performed in the book, it is through a tireless chronicling of what the lover is and what the lover does. Here's a list of just a few My lover is a lightning-struck tree. Bits of his soft wood sit scattered across the lawn. My lover is a wink. He's all stay, stay, but also slow, slow. My lover is an echo. I must continue speaking to keep him alive. My lover is a paper airplane a boy let fly inside the Guggenheim. My lover watches CSI Miami 24 hours a day waiting for David Caruso to remove his black sunglasses. (laughs) (laughs) It's fantastic. In many ways, that comparative act we find in Shakespeare, shall I compare thee to uh, Summer's Day, is expanded with such wonderful and, and, and playful creative energy throughout Matthias's book. The, pos- the possibilities of what the lover is and what, the lo- what love can be are endless. And there's both celebration of that and also a sadness too. The lover is both infinitely close and infinitely at a distance. One of the poems in the series begins, My lover is an onlooker. And I am a passerby. That melancholy is central uh, to Matthias's most recent work, a series of raw and deeply existential uh, lyrics that remind us of surrealism's exploration of psychology: the mind, perception, memory. Throughout these poems, the sensorial, that communication between the body and the exterior world, is consistently questioned and troubled. A skull makes a puzzle of meaning. My mind is a double song of caves. One poem in this series begins. Another poem starts, The lamplight returns me, knotted memory. The title of the book, which is the same title for each of the poems in the sequence, evokes Homer's famous description of the sea, that appears in both the Iliad and and the Odyssey, a description that has intrigued and puzzled scholars for centuries. What was Homer seeing when describing the blue or blue-green, a G, and do colors exist objectively outside the mind, or are they defined by an age's lexicon and or an individual's perception? The question is particularly resonant when struggling through pain, trauma, and depression. The speaker of these poems is continually looking for a way to short-circuit the feedback loop between subject and object. The shortest poem in the book is a small prayer, and, and, and really a book of prayer. Exit this poem for me. Show me a way. To live within poems and to live outside of them Perhaps is a fitting way to describe Matthias's current and ongoing project. Since 2014 in cities throughout the US, Matthias has been delivering dreams by bicycle. To get the dreams delivered before sunrise, he wakes at 2 in the morning. His route for the next month takes him from here in La Jolla to neighborhoods in San Diego. He writes daily original prose for each dream subscriber. I have mine right here in my pocket. They come in this pink envelope. I didn't have time to open, and I'm excited later on tonight. I don't know if it's a connection, but I think about the pink envelope, and I think about uh, the pink boxes of donuts, and it's hard not to have a pastry when reading my dream. (laughs) Why not indulge, right? (laughs) so I was saying he writes daily original prose for each dream describer and it's it's about an 8 to 10 hour day writing uh, plus the 3 or more early morning uh, hours delivering I mentioned at the start the endurance of the imagination and imaginative acts the dream delivery is a feat really both of mind and body imagination and physical will Matthias is the author of five books, including Destruction Myth, Wastoid, and most recently, as I said, The Wine Dark Sea. His his dream delivery service has been featured in stories on NPR and BBC and supported by a variety of arts organizations, including the Museum of Contemporary Art at Denver, as well as an upcoming residency this summer at the Chautauqua Institution. We are so excited to have him reading for us here today. Please help me welcome this wonderful poet, Matthias Velina.
1: The secret to these kind of things is to always have a more talented writer than you are introduce you. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you to um, everybody with decision-making. I don't know, I don't know. Thank you. Um, I brought my camel and I brought my owl. Creation myth. In the beginning, there was a book, but every time a villager read the book, it meant something different to her Than it did to her friend or her mother The villagers fought over the correct interpretation Mothers ripped earrings from their sons' ears Children stuffed their parents' mouths with gauze Priests bludgeoned bakers Twins disagreed Eventually someone decided to throw the book down the well But when she picked it up A shower of keys fell from its pages Each key labeled for a particular villager. There were no locks at this time, so the villagers took their keys home to their basements and garages and built locks and locked up everything they owned. They locked up their houses and bikes first. Then they locked up their drawers and their pockets. One villager built a lock for his mouth, and another built a lock for his eyes. Years later, a team of scientists in white coats discovered the village. All the villagers had locked themselves completely still, and only a few sneezes revealed they were still alive. The scientists radioed in for a team of pickpockets who stole the keys from the locked villagers. But even the pickpockets could not be of help because none of the keys opened any of the locks. Can you hear me okay in the back row? Are the words okay back there? Okay. Creation myth. In the beginning, everything I said exploded. I'd be holding a glass of ice water and say, I am holding a glass of ice water, and the glass of ice water would explode. I'd mumble to myself, where's my cell phone? And hear a small boom in the bedroom. My first word was daddy. After that, I didn't speak for 10 years. (laughs) I tried to use my explosions for good. I said, shuffling feet. I never heard that scrape again. I said, crooked politicians. But the next day, there was a brand new batch of them, each giving press conferences after the memorial services. I almost said nuclear warheads and then decided this might be unwise. (laughs) I made a list of words I could not say. Words like oak, mother, and pills. Words like journalists, femurs, and workers. But then I'd walk around with my buddies after the bars closed, and then I'd say, that Dan Rather is a respectable news source, huh? And everyone froze and Sutter punched me in the arm. It took two weeks until there were new newspapers, and they were all a little thin. I told my fiancé I loved her, and just like that, The love was gone. In the spaces where the things used to be, in the craters left after the explosions, a new kind of mold grows. It grows orange on some days and yellow on others. It grows quickly and always toward me. I'm not sure what will happen when the mold reaches me, but I hope I will be brave. I hope I will not say the word mold. There is so much I should not tell you. I know your name is Seashore, but your name is Animal. That's my name too. My mother and father are both chemists. They light their ranch-style home with Bunsen burners and drink from glass beakers. They created the universe in 1968 when they dripped one foul-smelling chemical into a clear chemical that smelled like ice and formed my brother. The universe was a small apartment in Southside Chicago. My aunt and uncle lived downstairs inside a camera lens. Each morning, my mother and father would drip chemicals from an eyedropper into a frying pan, and the chemicals became French toast. When I was five, they created a new kind of city they called New Orleans. They created fire ants and water moccasins. When I was 10, they created a bone that breaks. My mother and father, the chemists, stayed up late every night, mixing chemicals into new creations, their goggles steaming up with concentration. They created tall neighbors with cigarettes and dry hands. They created above ground pools with blue plastic sides, toilets full of urine, collies, new hats. Things I could never imagine appeared each morning like tents when I clip my nails I watch the clippings dissolve immediately into chemicals likewise with cut hair when I die I will prove my mother and father correct the chemicals into which my body will wilt will be stored on a wooden shelf in brown bottles with rubber stoppers I had a perfect moment of clarity in the back of Mike Bunn's car While Pittsburgh unfolded into a paper swan. And even this I know they created with chemicals. There was a shining new bike. There was a dog that jumped into my bed. There was a red bottle, a set of nunchucks, a yellow dress. Every new thing made me cry tears of bromine, which immediately evaporated. I started this one business that discovered one new thing each day, but never told anyone about any of these things. Never, ever, ever. We did not have clients, only investors, wealthy investors, the wealthiest investors who could not, or sorry, who could fund a team of scientists of every field and laboratories on all seven continents. Men and women of wild, wide, and worldly birth. Wealthy people who understood that they could buy anything, hire anyone, do anything. For them, the world is an enormous cutting board on which they prepare their experiences. But it grows tiresome for the truly wealthy, the never-wanting. You've seen in movies how rich people grow miserly and raked and bent. That's not true. They have perfect skin they have straight posture. Their eyes never dart. So we did some research into the needs of the super wealthy and discovered that what they want is something they can truly never have. At first, we considered doing this business as a sham to imply via a series of hints and well-placed articles that there were things unavailable to the super rich. And then we would charge the super rich for the service. But it was more satisfying for everyone involved to know that there is something new each day, something unimaginable coming into the scope of human knowledge, and that no one will ever hear about it. Imagine all the things you do not know. Imagine what a wondrous world this could be if we all were our earplugs and our blindfolds all the time. I've had a cold, and um, today's my first day not taking Dayquil, so I feel like there's this unfortunate reality that we all have to deal with. Um, The Man Who Is Only Blood I knew a man who was made of only blood. Each day he wrapped himself in more layers of plastic wrap to keep his blood self-contained. By the time I met him, he was only a lump, a clumped concave for a throat. He bumbled through the streets slowly, warily, so as to not snag his plastic wrap. He may have dreamed of a world of soft, pliable edges, of rounded things, but I don't know for certain, for he could not talk. I called my mom to tell her about this man. There must be some moral in this, I thought, and my mom loves morals to stories. When the phone answered, there was only static. Hello? I asked the static. The static, in response, said, only more static. Wasteoid. The first time I met my lover, he was a praying mantis. He extended one long green leg toward me and offered me his iPod. The headphones were two tiny praying mantises affixed to black wires. I inserted them into my ears and heard a sound I could not identify. It sounded like two wet bones rubbing against each other but also like lake water lapping off a handful of wet hair. Then I understood the sound. I was inside my lover's heart and the sound was his blood how a glass of cold water on a hot day undoes itself. When I opened my eyes, the recognizable world was gone, and my lover was there. Praying mantis body, praying mantis eyes, praying mantis mandibles biting through my praying mantis skin, eating my praying mantis eyes, understanding me in the manner of a joystick. Wasteoid. My lover has an enormous name. It only just fits in his minivan when we go to Home Depot. We used to fold the name up neatly for travel when our relationship was new, and he wore all the jewelry that were gifts for me, but now my lover's name has such strength and such wealth that it is impossible to fold. There are so many things that command the attention of men. For instance... I love ribbons. But my lover looks at photographs of horses online and looks at how much the horses cost and imagines what it would feel like to purchase an entire horse. He drags his name from one room to the next, and rarely can I edge my way past his name. Wasteoid. A man fell in love with a bomb. The bomb was strapped to another man's chest, and the first man grew jealous. The other man carried the bomb into a busy street and detonated it. Many people died, and many cars were damaged. After the police left the scene, the man went to the busy street and searched for pieces of the bomb. He was happy the other man was gone, but unhappy that the bomb was no longer a bomb. He collected pieces of shrapnel that may have been from the bomb. He collected footage of the bomb exploding. He sat on his blue futon and watched the footage on repeat, stroking the sharp shrapnel until his fingers felt like sponges. Wastoid. A man stole all the beauty. It was on his table at the diner in yellow and red plastic bottles when he ordered his burger, and the assumption was that he would use some of the beauty and leave the bottles of beauty on the table, but when he left, instead, he stole all the beauty. At home, he hid the beauty in his hamper below a layer of dirty clothes. The cops arrived and searched his house, but when they opened the hamper, they were like, ew, dirty clothes, and did not search it. (laughs) With all the beauty stolen, people had nothing traditional to love so they began to love other things like boats and receipts the stars continued to shine and the trees grew pink and sweet each spring but no one really gave a shit Wasteoid when I was a boy I stepped on a blackbird and then no one could speak it was as though for a time I existed as though I had a place in the world All the lights were very bright inside the shopping center and the escalators ran all night. I touched my throat to feel for a pulse and my lover was there. How a dogwood tree is there for the bird. Outside in the parking lot stood a small man of disorder. He was not my lover and there was no my lover as far as I could see. And there was someone else there. A strange man with black eyes whom I could not dispel. I do feel that perhaps I'm trying to reach out for other things. Is this love? This walking through the black tunnel into another but different blackness? Um, this is a dream I wrote for a subscriber who I think was eight years old. Um, I never met him, though, so I, I have no idea how, why I think he's eight. I don't know. He was a kid. I imagined him as eight. You're standing on a street corner pretending to be a tree. Some people walk by, walking by say things like, what a beautiful tree. And you're happy you've tricked them into thinking you're really a tree. Some people walking by say things like, look at how good that kid is at being a tree. And you're less happy, but still happy. Some of the people walking by don't say anything. Eventually, you get tired of being a tree, and you pretend to be a bookshelf. A person walking by stops and looks at all the books on your shelves. They say, hmm, and almost pick up one book, then change their mind. They say, hmm, again, and then say, hmm. Finally, they pick a book out of one of your shelves. They stand there and read the book for many minutes. They are made so happy by the book. They put the book back onto your shelf and walk away. You stop pretending to be a bookshelf, but you save the book the person was reading so you can read it too. When you open the book, it smells like dirt. Not dirty, not a bad smell, but like dirt in a garden, dark and rich and full of life. Um, NPR had me write a dream for their listeners. Uh, so, if you ever listened in NPR's Morning Edition, this dream is a dream you had. And if you do, if you don't ever listen to NPR's Morning Edition, if you could just leave for like, <laughs> I don't know, 90 seconds, maybe. I'll signal you when I'm done. You can come back in. Oh, a lot of NPR listeners. (laughs) Very nice. You're in a dark tunnel. You have a small flashlight which illuminates tiny specks. The tunnel stretches out in front of you and behind you. Water drips and plops from unseen sources into unseen puddles. You walk into the dark for a long time until you trip over something and fall. A stack of newspapers bundled up with twine. You turn your flashlight on the bundle. It is all of the newspapers from every city in the world from the day you were born. The bundle is too heavy to carry, so you leave it and keep walking until you trip and fall over another bundle. It is all the newspapers from your first birthday. You keep an eye out as you walk now and come across another bundle, all the papers from your second birthday, then your third, fourth, so on. You grow accustomed to the bundles and pass by them without looking until you find a bigger bundle and a steel bucket. The bucket is full of keys. The bundle consists of every newspaper from your last birthday until today. Some are normal newspapers. Some are blank except for the ads. Some are filled with unreadable stories of nonsense and gibberish. Each has a keyhole on the front. You take keys from the bucket and try to fit them to the newspaper's keys holes. When you fit a key to the blank paper and turn the key, the paper fills with stories. When you fit a key into a normal newspaper, a bit of light fills the tunnel. And as you unlock more newspapers and the tunnel fills with more light, you realize it's not a tunnel at all, but a home you recognize on a street you recognize in the neighborhood in which you live. These are some poems from that book, The Wine Dark Sea, that Brandon was talking about. You'll notice they're a little different. The Wine Dark Sea. Rope want, eking, until no cars come. Two is all I can make of memory, cloud dizzy. Ornate mold of word, the only warden can I afford. The dark Sea Of the noises I've been I find the table most inaudible Muttering knife, knife, knife Say not the lamp goes out But the lamp goes out by itself The dark Sea Silence stitches sickness Broken back-together meat like dead fish in a fishbowl, glass shattering each morning. I'm at the tree line. I'm rising above it. The wine dark sea. In these holy days of ditch and feast, of the festival of spines, I bless the festival. The Wine Dark Sea I reach For the kerosene of stars For a frail Dictionary I wear three layers Of maps Each must reach Each night Until an eye Is a mark Anything Umber Sickness Self Or harm This is a geyser religion I'm the bagman. The wine dark sea Wet bodies burst in the sun I need new songs to bite this lip off To find the more fragile lip I can only canopy The song always on the radio The radio always on These are some things from a thing called Thank You Terror, which I've been writing for about four years and I'm hoping I never finish. It takes its title from the Alanis Morissette song Thank You from 1999, which probably some of you are not aware of. (laughs) Break your life and break the pieces into smaller pieces and break your hands and break your body until you've broken all you know and kissed the wood still warm from the fire. There is a gap. The war never ended. The dead are alive. Steal the horses from the factory and ride them and their brokenness. Your heart is a hatchet and what is empty will not always be empty. I was dead, but they kept killing me, by the seaside, by the super target, on a plane, in a beetle's husk. My arms stretched wide, but I could not find my eyes. I won't betray you, I won't betray you, I say again and again to our toe. But where's the sonnet of power? Where's the sonnet of suffering? And when the skin comes off, it comes off like a shower curtain. When there is joy, there is joy like a dirt road. You do not get to pick your oracle. You only know your weaknesses. There is a limit to love, the clicks that link a word to its wound to its dove. I want nothing so much as the cold to matter, my heart beating an off tome of sweet, my song plagiarized into a sweeter song, my voice in a sweeter mouth, unwarranted, unpublishable in any state other than this police state of the heart. I don't know how suffering works. It seems each of us has served a full glass of it. And just as we sip a bit down, the server comes and refills the glass with a kind smile. And we envy each other's glass, which could not ever be as bitter as our own. Maybe suffering only closes into a blink. I carry a plastic bag in my back pocket, wherever I go, so I have something in which to catch the puke. If you guys want to call a stranger, there's a stranger's phone number at the end of this one. (laughs) Sarah's been texting someone she thought was Joe for a day or so, and he kept telling her that he had no idea who she was, and she kept being like, oh, that is just so Joe. When she asked Not Joe for Chris's number, Not Joe said, I don't know this Chris, but here's my friend Trevor's number, and sent his friend Trevor's number. The self has no geography or economy, but neither does a chessboard or a gunshot or the sound of the body that is no longer its own. I'm not sure how we learn more than what a name looks like. Here's Trevor's number, 303 517 6850. I wrote this poem this morning at a donut shop. At, like, I don't know. This is a good donut. (laughs) Um, There's a dream in the middle of it that I wrote and delivered to Brandon and to one other person. I'm writing a field guide to birds with Bailey And because they are everywhere And because I'm writing a field guide to birds with Bailey I see birds everywhere Not only painted on the sides of shops and water towers And not only in the trees and sky and on benches But in the squeals of bus brakes And in the mechanisms of old exercise contraptions Once sold and infomercials now broken and abandoned On the road down the canyon hill that I bike Each night on my broken bike and the birds are in the feelings that I have nothing to know. The birds are in the feelings that nothing is going to turn out all right. And the birds are in how my mom, after I send her a video of the harbor seals and La Jolla texts, thanks for sharing a place I will never get to, which is what my mom said when I sent her a text, a video of the harbor seals. <laughs> and the birds are in how someone I love each day is digging deeper into her ever drier well. And the birds are in how someone I love is completely convinced of one falsehood. And the birds are in how someone I love is so drowned in words he can only recognize the night. And the birds are in how someone I love is unable to keep a table upright. And the birds are in all the people I love whose suffering I cannot help. And the birds are in those whose suffering I cannot even recognize as suffering. And the birds are in those whose suffering has become weaponized. And the birds are in those whose suffering has made of them walking knights. When I was a kid, I'd cry all the time. But the only emotion I'd ever been taught was boredom. So I always thought I was bored. And boredom in my household was very bad. If you're bored, mow the lawn. If you're bored, rake the leaves. My mom would catch me crying and ask why I was crying and because I didn't know existed any other emotion, I would say, because I'm bored. And then I'd have to clean the bathroom or pick up all the poop and the dog's pen or any of the other punishments for boredom that failed to assuage the boredom. And all these mornings, they only make the night a little computer together Paul leaves me a long message. His girlfriend's mom has been beaten nearly to death in Vegas by a man named Doug who has beaten her before. They're never this bad. And he and his girlfriend's family are at the hospital in Vegas. And I can hear that he's been crying and probably hasn't slept. And I've seen Paul cry a few times. And he is a creature of straightforward emotions. And his girlfriend, while taking a nap at the hospital, dreamed her mother was on the beach and happy. And she is worried that this is a message from above that her mother is going to die. I thought, Paul says in his message, that if I told you these details... And you wrote of them a dream and sent that dream out into the world. It might become a prayer or something. Or at least these details would not be a dead end. I only see them as a dead end. And I don't know. I don't know if that's a thing. I don't know if one can make a prayer. But if Paul thinks that's a thing I can do, then I have to try. So I write this dream. Here's the dream. Your friend's mother has been badly beaten by a man named Doug, her boyfriend. She is in a hospital in Las Vegas. Her situation is critical. This is not a good dream, but it is not a nightmare. In the dream, you have the ability to travel back in time and witness acts of violence, and by holding your hands out and closing your eyes and focusing all your mind and your goodness and your experiences and your understanding, change those violences into music, an awful bone grating music you can change the violence into this music. And then by listening to the music intently, listening to every single note of it, listening so hard that you suck the music into you, you can negate these past violences. This is not something you want to do, but it is a thing you can do, and so it is a thing you must do. You go back in time to Las Vegas to the hotel room with Doug and your friend's mother and you hold your hands out and you focus all that you know and the events spread out and separate from time and become a field of notes floating in the air. You gather the notes in your arms. They struggle and bite at you like beasts. You run to the desert and let the notes loose and they cascade upon you in a deluge of noise there's so much noise honking and squealing and shattering that it is almost too much noise and you almost succumb to the noise but finally you find the music in the noise and you listen to it filthy and sordid as it is and you take the music in and as you take the music in you see the events of the beating go in reverse and Doug's punches suck back into him and Doug's meeting of your friend's mother sucks back into him and all Doug's terrors suck back into Doug until Doug walks alone and barefoot on a logging road in Idaho. And your friend's mother sits at the ocean watching the sun set. Your friend's mother turns to you and says, is this a replica? You shake your head, the music gone from the world and only inside. No, you say it is a prayer. There is a world filled with no love out there beyond the horizon. And every night the sun slips into that world and burns away the no love and makes room for love. She nods. She does not believe you and what you said was not true, but it is enough to be told what you told her. I write this dream and deliver it to Brandon. And I mail it to the guitarist for that band Big Thief And I think that maybe it'll become a prayer But then I know it won't become a prayer I know that the bird I see in the broken exercise machine is only a bird In the way the song I sing when riding down that canyon hill in the dark On my crooked wheel, on my crooked bike The song that goes, it's okay if I die, la 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 It's okay if I die, la 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 In the way that that is a song I sent another photo of a harbor seal to my mom and she texted back, do let them bite you. (laughs) And though I know it was a typo, I would gladly allow them to bite me. (laughs) The night has become this little computer that fits into a slender bag built for it to fit into. The good prayers, the ones that work, they don't come from books. They were taught in the night by my mom Before I could understand how afraid my mom is of the world and its insistences. How certain she is of its spines and teeth. The good prayers were taught to keep the bed in place while I slept, to let night shield me for at least a few brief hours from the boredom that being alive is, to keep at least a few birds inside their own songs. The night computes its little numbers, its little coat of dark that squeaks and squeals and bird songs rust into anything, and I am still bored. You can't just make a prayer the way you can make a mistake or like a photo online. They must be granted. They must be granted by a stricken thing. They have to fuck you up. You have to understand what it means to be fucked up. Though, perhaps, this is a prayer. I did, while walking with Janelle, think I saw a beautiful snail in the dry grass. And I bent down to examine this snail, picturing the beautiful snail carrying all of its beauty up the slick skin of a cactus, past the spines and pains, the snail shining in the sun, the snail leaving a bit of itself behind on the cactus like nighttime. But then I asked Janelle, Janelle, is that a snail or is that a poop? And she said, it's poop. (laughs) And how beautiful that snail was. How eternal its beauty. How pure. And I guess, how beautiful too was the poop. And then when I tried to tell Brandon this story, he said, yeah, I know. I was standing right there when it happened. (laughs) And silly me, all that time, i had thought he was very far away. Thank you for being here and for listening.
0: Um, so we're gonna have a Q and A. Um feel free to ask any screen. Uh Prize is ready to go back up here? Yeah, if you would we don't have a mic this time, so you can just stand up and um,
1: Away. I stole all the mics. Yeah.
0: we got four up here. Yeah. Does anyone have a question? I'll ask a question. Hi. Thank you for your reading. Thanks. Um, what's your process? I, I know about, like, I didn't hear enough of all of them, but
1: what was the second, book, or the first book you read from? Uh, it was a book called Destruction Myth that consisted of some absurdist creation myths. Yeah, so it's in serial, obviously. i was just wondering uh, how your process goes. In, like, specific terms, I would say, because I'm asking selfish questions because I'm writing pieces. how much, uh, what's the ratio of, like, this is the anchor of gods when you're writing to, like, this is the worst shit I've ever written? It's all the worst shit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's
0: good. Been about it, yeah. It's, it's, are you writing consecutively? Like, do you, for the dreams, for instance, how does that project... Um, how did your different writing practices kind of come together
1: for you? I think I throw away about two-thirds of what I wrote, maybe. Uh, and i that's just how I write. I overwrite. And so I write with that in mind. So um, I think I wrote like 100, maybe 100 and something of those creation myths, and then I end up having 44 in the book. Yeah. Um, this last book I wrote, The Wine, Dark Sea, I wrote to be 200 pages in its first draft and then it ended up being 70 pages in its last draft and I I wanted to cut out at least 100 pages from it and this one I'm writing right now I want to write for like 10 years and then delete everything but like two poems. (laughs) (laughs) But the dreams are kind of like nice because I get to write every day a lot and I like the writing part but I don't like the having written part and the dreams I just mostly delete at the end of the month so I get to like I don't have to I don't have to they're not like poems like you don't I don't I don't like work on them. They're like I write them for like ten minutes and then I'm like done. <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know. Wait. That was good. I think I stopped answering your question and started oh, babbling. That was perfect thank you. Um. Is there a difference between that? I think of, I mean, some of them I know. So Mike Brandon, I know, uh, used to frequent a coffee shop named The Quiet Storm in Pittsburgh. So, that's probably going to come into a, a, a dream for him. <laughs> some of them are like these addresses, and I'm like, oh, you live at 228844. Like, fascinating, you know. I'm like, um, some of them are these houses that I deliver to, where like I have to lean my bike against the. Trailer hitch of a Subaru And I'm like Every day I think about that Um, So it's I don't know It's kind of like I don't know I think I was just Kind of talking And thought maybe Like an answer would show up Um, It depends Is the really boring answer Uh, I think I try to Have like Some sort of Consistent Things happen Over the course Of the month when they're getting like thirty one dreams from me. So like if like if a hippopotamus shows up in a dream on day two, that hippopotamus might show up on day fourteen and be like it like the evil hippopotamus version and stuff like that. And I try to like have these connections, but I also get very, very tired about halfway through the month so I think I forget. Um so I don't know. I have no idea. I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> I just talked for like two minutes, and it's like, that, that was all bullshit. I'm sorry. Uh, Who do you read? Hmm? Who do you um, br- uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> 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 like, I, uh, like, while I'm writing things, or like, while, just um, in general? For your, for your own, I like a lot of crime novels. Um, I like... Uh, I like Rene Gladman very, very much. I like um, Kafka's short stories very, very much. I like the um, the Hasidic tales that Martin Buber collected from Eastern Europe. I like those are the kind of surrealism that I really identify with. Not so much the like uh, sort of cruel French stuff. Um, like people who are sort of trying to understand things the wrong way appeal to me. Anybody who tries to explain things and fucks up, I like. <laughs> I don't know. Any I don't know. What's your uh, process of breaking through? I don't know process. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Anytime I'm asked about the process, I'm like, I'm not gonna answer this. <laughs> Just watch. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Please. Uh, okay, okay. So, uh, what are your I was being a dick, I'm sorry. I'll Oh break through writers block for you write such a such a volume
0: Yeah. Um how do you how do you keep it going? Is there like some sort of way you have changing things up or stepping outside
1: or going for a walk or what is your I hate my real life a lot. <laughs> so I feel good when I'm writing or when I'm riding my bike so I've tried to create a life in which I do that as much as possible like if I had if I had my druthers is druthers really a word or is that like <laughs> did I, I feel like it's a word I might have made up in my yeah, right. yeah yeah every time I say it I feel like I'm trying to do a character like some sort of 19th century person who would say the word druthers I don't know um I prefer writing to not writing And um, I'm of the mindset that can just keep writing. Um, It won't be good, but I can just keep doing it. Uh, What I would say as far as, like, I think what is happening inside me is sort of uh, maybe related to, like, what Alice Notley has described in much, much smarter ways than I ever could about trying to bring everything in. Like, trying to flatten the sort of ontology or like levels of hierarchy of what's a good image or what's a good idea and try to accept, um, try to accept and try to just like have things happen and to not judge its uh, profundity or judge its uh, value as art and to only sort of think about it as Doing stuff. I don't know. I've been obsessed with this little tiny interview that I heard with Andy Warhol, um, who is weirdly like always overrated and underrated. I don't know. Uh, for for maybe the wrong reasons. I don't know. Uh, in this little interview, he was being interviewed and he was talking about how he wanted to be a robot. And that was like his aspiration. And the interview was clearly trying to get him to say something really profound about pop art and meow meow, meow and blah, blah, blah. And uh, and he was like, well, I want to be a robot because robots like everything, and I like everything. And I was kind of like, yeah, <laughs> like, I, I like everything. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. I don't know. Just liking stuff, maybe. I don't know. Like, stuff's cool. <laughs> I mean, pra- pragmatically, maybe, I don't know. I, I, if, I'm, if I'm, like, really, really tired, I will open an art book. I will, uh like go to a, like a random word generator online I'll um text somebody and be like you know, like what do you remember from yesterday and then steal it hmm. <laughs> yeah. so there's a really if if i don't know de has a really really great like list that's been passed around everywhere online of like tricks for writing and it's sort of like it's so copious that eventually you realize like the theme of the list is like there's no trick it's just just fucking do stuff you know <laughs> just like do something just make art just i don't know produce things but other people don't and that's i don't know <laughs> i don't know where i'm going with that i'm gonna stop sorry <laughs> yes yeah. uh, is there a to the blood it seems like there should be right he's like He's filled with blood, and then he's trying to keep himself in. This is the problem. Like, I, like, I don't want anything to ever make sense. Um, that's not true. I do want things to make sense. I can never make sense of things. Like, my friend Zach is a really, really lovely surrealist writer, and I was like talking about one of his poems in which a, a lung falls in love with a haircut, And I was like, it's really great because there's like a lung and there's a haircut. And he's like, well, yeah, I mean, a haircut is like the body being excised from itself and like you sort of, you know, you you remove the body to make the body more the body, you know, and then the lung is the taking in of the world to make the body live. And uh, and I was like, huh, like, you really thought about that. (laughs) (laughs) And and I was very impressed by, by his ability to do that, which is not my ability. I don't know, like the moment... There's like a, I can start to like parse out what, it, what happens in something I've written, and then the moment it gets close to like making sense, this static happens. I think actually that maybe that poem is like an ars poetic of my own inability to understand what the fuck I'm doing. I don't know. Yes is the answer. I forget. You asked a yes or no question. i was always supposed to answer yes whenever anybody asks a yes or no question. I don't know. Sorry, I'm really bad at Q and (laughs) A's. I'm always like, I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm really scared up here. go cry. <laughs> oh, shit, I've wasted my life. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, the the ending is always, to me, the worst part. Like, I don't like the last ten pages of novels. I don't like, you know, like, the, you know, th- like, think of a movie that actually has a good ending. like. Mm-hmm. There you go. They're few and far between. Um, I don't know. It's the opening that I like. It's the sort of potentiality. It's the the way that things connect and make sense and then lose sense. It's the way like, I don't know, at the heart it's like the way the metaphor works that um, the world comes together and it makes more of the world and uh, We're never going to understand it or be able to control it. And meaning is beyond us, and um, we're small. (laughs) I don't know. That's very comforting to me. It's good to know that we're small. I don't know. I don't know. Other people have different opinions. Thank you all very much.
0: We are on that event, uh, Christy C. Road, uh, February 21st, right here. Oh, yeah. See you then. Thank you. Thank you. guys are on the front.